0: are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: General Flynn has his day in court for a sentencing hearing, but it does not go as planned. We'll have the details. Also, is there going to be a shutdown or not? It looks like the White House might have been backtracking a bit today on previous promises. And what happens when an 11-year-old is dancing on stage in drag and the media covers it? That and more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show.
2: This, this
0: is the Buck, Buck Sexton, Sexton Show, where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Russia. One
1: small thing. Make. make no mistake. America. Your great. You're a great American again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins.
1: Activate.
0: Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton.
3: It is Buck Sexton. Now.
4: President Trump should understand there are not the votes for the wall. In the House or the Senate, he is not going to get the wall in
1: any form.
5: I asked the people at Customs and Border Protection, what would it cost to have
0: scanners to scan all the vehicles coming in? They said $300 million. That's a far cry from $5 billion and a much more effective way to have a secure border.
4: Most of us, speaking for myself, consider the wall uh, immoral, ineffective, um, inexpensive, expensive to spend billions of
0: dollars on an immoral, ineffective, and expensive wall.
5: Don't waste billions of dollars of taxpayer uh, money in order to build something that will not make our border more secure. Border security is
1: enormously important, but I think building a wall is a very costly and inefficient way to do that. So many lies. So many lies. And so little time to knock them all down. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Democrats are in full-scale talking points mode right now. They're all in on this idea that a wall just cannot happen. A wall cannot happen. And the GOP, as of now, according to Mitch McConnell, uh, is not willing to go to a shutdown. Senate Majority uh, Leader Mitch McConnell has declared the government is going to stay open and that the White House will be flexible uh, flexible on its border wall demands. Why? I, I would like to know why they think this is a good idea. Why is it that the Republicans are the ones who, once again, are running to cave on the signature issue of this presidency? What is the difference now? What has changed in their calculation? A week ago, Trump was having his I am Spartacus moment on this one. You know, he said, you know, we'll shut it down. Stephen Miller over the weekend, president's senior aide in the White House. Oh, we'll shut it down. You know, I'm not here to say everything that Trump does, his advisors do is great. Often quite the opposite. I'm here to tell you what I think about what's best for the country and what the Reality of the agenda is that was promised by these people who were given power, including the president of the United States, to follow through on that agenda. You know, they were not saying. Build the existing fences and add to Border Patrol overtime hours. No, they were saying build the wall. Not not seeing this get through right now, not seeing how this is going to happen now. There are a bunch of ways this could play out. And I will get into them. But I do want to note that my initial inclination here, which is that the GOP is unwilling to have a shutdown battle right before the Christmas holiday. They think they're going to lose on this one. They think the Democrats and their media allies are going to manage to convince people that Republicans are being reckless. That all that just means that this is Lucy pulling the football and we are Charlie missing by a mile and landing on our butts. Oh, we're going to have the shutdown fight. Oh, it's going to be the, you know, n- now is our moment to finally do what's right here. Nope. That's, that, is, that is not how this is going to play out, unfortunately. That is not what is likely uh, to happen. I don't know how the president, I'm just going to say it, I don't know how the president can win re-election if the wall promise is not in any way fulfilled, meaning that, that construction has not started. I don't know, you know, because this is how I see this playing out right now they're not going to do the shutdown. They're going to get a, another continuing resolution. And, you know, they're going to push, they're going to push this off into January and then they'll have another, Oh no, we got to have a big thing. And then they're going to push it off again. No politician wants to make a hard choice. No members of Congress want to do what's necessary and what's responsible here. They want to do what's easiest and what's going to get them reelected. It's all driven by self-interest. And we're going to be told, you know what? Uh, OK, fine. Maybe the president is going to order them to find the money somewhere else. I'm already seeing this. This is the storyline. All oh, the president's going to find the money somewhere else for the wall. OK, where? Find Five billion dollars. That's I'm sure they could find that somewhere in the budget. But how are they? gonna oh, OK, well, you know what? The president's also going to just uh, the president's going to tell the military that this should be done, that this is the way it should go. And we respond to this. All right. Well, guess what happens then? A federal judge is going to block it. You know, just just the same way that a federal judge said no travel ban, even though it was within the president's constitutional authority to implement that travel ban, as we know from the from the Supreme Court. They're going to say, oh, some judge somewhere in the country is going to come up with a pretext to stop the stop the building of the border wall. Or stop the funding of it, the, the reapportionment of funding from within the federal government, so that they could build the wall. No, no, no. They're gonna, they're gonna find a way. To, so then the judge sh- shuts this thing down. It turns into a court battle. And you know what they're gonna tell us for uh, for 2020? Because that's how long this thing's gonna extend out with with no wall in place and no funding for a wall. You know what they're gonna tell us? Oh well, we need to give Trump four more years, and we need a supermajority in Congress now. That's what we need, a supermajority in Congress to get this done. I think it's now or never. They're either willing to have this fight and do everything that they can to start building this wall. It's, it's going to be piecemeal. It's going to take a long time. It's not going to be an easy thing to do. But they either win the fight to begin construction or, you know, we, we got to start thinking about a way to... Live under a Democrat socialist regime because that's where this country's heading. And I don't like saying it, but that's what's that's what's going to happen. That's where we're going to be. We've basically lost the health care fight. I know other conservatives don't want to tell you that. They're, oh, you know, we're going to re- we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare. Really? When? How? You had a chance, didn't do it. It's only going to get harder. In fact, we're only moving further to the left. More government spending. More dependency on the government subsidizing health care you think we're going to have some great moment of clarity on this one all of a sudden the the Milton Friedman spirit is going to overtake the country we're going to realize that a free market in healthcare care is going to be better no of course not people like free stuff it's rational to like free stuff the whole government system we have now when it comes to healthcare care and a whole lot of things is premised on not really letting you know not really making it clear that you're paying for it, <laughs> that, that that this doesn't come without cost. You know, they don't want you to know that. They, they want to obfuscate that. They want to make it hard to understand that. We're losing the, the fight over health care. W- what's the replacement plan? You know, you've got all these Republicans in Congress and their staffs and their offices, and I go over and I interview them on the whole thing. I always want to ask, what exactly do you do here? Guys, don't have an Obamacare replacement plan. You haven't won the fight. In fact, Obamacare is more popular now than it's ever been based on the polling. It is more popular now. And you could say, "Well, buck, that's because they, you know, we have some stopgap measures and the, the Congress said you don't have to pay the penalty, but the reason people sign up for Obamacare insurance, the, the the main driver is not actually whether or not they have to pay the penalty. It's whether or not they get subsidies. Because in some cases, the subsidy covers essentially their entire cost of premium. So it's effectively like having free health insurance with limited access to, you know, the private health insurance market and a a high deductible. But that's what it is. You know, we we were told that Republicans would would fight. I mean, I came into media on health care issue at the health care issue time. right? I came in when Obamacare was the dominant subject matter. When the Tea Party was, yeah, worried about the debt and the deficit, but what was really pushing the debt and deficit? Healthcare spending, Medicare and Medicaid. That's where the problem is. Obamacare has only made that worse. And Obamacare was compelled commerce. And we we were told that this is terrible. And it is terrible. It's wrong. It's unconstitutional. But what are we going to do about it? You know, I, I start to worry that conservatism is is accepting of its of its toothlessness when it comes to policy when it comes to the way this country is governed and how that affects the 320 million or so people who live here that we just make really interesting arguments and never expect to actually win and what's most frustrating right now with Trump in the oval office and I know it's a lame duck congress but we still do have a majority what's most frustrating is that republicans are essentially now being told even when you win you lose even when we have this this political miracle of the Trump administration that defeats the most propped up establishment back candidate imaginable we can't we can't follow through we can't execute we're a lot of you know the the right conservatism trumpism whatever A lot of promises, not a lot of execution. I know. These are people who say, oh, Buck, the economy and everything. Yeah, the economy's good. Stock market's not so good, but the economy's good. Unemployment's still really low. Regulation's better than it was. Healthcare's not much better. It's not. It's been two years. The wall hasn't been built. Still at war in Afghanistan. Still have troops in about a third of Syria. So what exactly are the are the are the huge wins here? The worst of yeah, okay, we, we're not in the Paris Climate Agreement, fine, that's good. Iran, sanctions are back, good. I mean, there are good things. But on those key issues, those core issues that motivated 63 million people to vote for President Trump, where are we now in this process? Do we think that there's going to be a, a better time to have this fight? Or after the Democrats are done turning Trump and everybody around him everyone he's ever known or loved practically is going to get the most intrusive taxpayer funded examination of everything they've done said and everywhere they've been imaginable. You think then they're really going to have the fight in spirit when we're having debates about a possible impeachment? That's that's when Trump and those around him are going to say, "Oh yeah, let's get the wall." It is now or never. I, I am I am frustrated that I'm also frustrated because of what happened with General Flynn, where you have, I think increasingly the the conclusion we have to draw from this is that yes he was set up yes they went after him, and there was, you know they were playing dirty pool. But Flynn also messed up. He messed up with the lobbying for Turkey. He messed up by lying. Um, I I don't, I'm waiting for him to say that he didn't actually lie. I'm waiting for someone to produce the 302 that's the original 302 from either Strzok or the other agent that was in the room that says that, you know, that, that we have that moment of, wow, they actually set this guy up. That still could happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And in the meantime, Flynn is saying, yeah, I lied. And we had the scene today with a judge, a judge who brought up that some might make the argument that Flynn sold out his country. This is a federal judge speaking to a, th- a three-star general. It's been a frustrating day for the general. Doesn't mean that you know we've lost, and I'm not. I'm not all fatalistic about this now. I just I'm disappointed that the White House. I think has had the establishment whispering in its ear too much on this one and they just they won't have this fight. Pelosi and Schumer and their whole gang cannot win on the issue of immigration if the debate is had in public and if people hear what they really think and what they really believe, they can't win. But if we don't have that, if we allow it to be business as usual, then yes, the, either the shutdown won't happen or it would be blamed on Republicans and Pelosi and Schumer. You know, laugh all the way to the election of the Beto Biden ticket that everyone's talking about right now. Oh, my gosh. Just, yeah, just double up, double up on the lightweights. That's the way to go. Double up on the lightweights and you'll have like a, you know, a middleweight running for president. That sounds great. That sounds great. All right. We got we got a lot more. I I will talk to you about uh, the Flynn situation in detail the second hour, we'll break down what happened today. We've got a, a former federal prosecutor joining us to uh, talk about that. Also, my friend, Sean Davis, the Federalist. They've been doing excellent work. He'll give us his sense of it. Um, and in the third hour, I'll tell you about this story. I saw it on the Daily Wire about an 11-year-old dressed in drag and these media stories that are hailing this as some kind of victory. Oh, I mean, well, and the world hasn't gone mad, but a lot of people in it have. You've got, uh, we've got much more show coming, team. Stay with me. Senator Schumer and
4: I have said, Leader Schumer and I have said uh, that we cannot accept the offer they made of a billion-dollar slush fund for the president to implement his uh, very wrong immigration policies. So that won't happen. So, how, what's the way out of this? Yeah. Well, so. we've said before, uh, that, that very clearly, that we could pop- possibly come together around a, uh, a CR for all seven bills. More, better than that, six bills that have already passed the Senate uh, 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 committees and one bill that is CR for Homeland Security. Six in one or all seven under
1: a CR. So she's just saying, you know, Trump's not going to get anything he wants out of this. I thought elections were supposed to have consequences. Apparently only when Democrats win do elections have consequences. <laughs> Notice the discussion had been until today that Trump wanted $5 billion for the wall and the Democrats were offering $1.5 billion for border security overall. Um, what do they expect that 1.5 billion is going to do to change the situation? The, the, if we had a real press corps, Democrats would be asked questions like, "What are you going to do to stop all the illegals from coming into the country? What are you going to do about the caravans and the family, the, the tens of thousands of family units that are showing up at the southern border? Well, what's your policy for that? How does how does just Continuing the status quo make anything better? Of course, the answer is it doesn't make anything better, and they don't want to make anything better. I also just love the ridiculousness of Democrats pretending that all of a sudden they care about wasteful government spending. You know, oh yes, oh, a billion dollar slush fund. Oh, good heavens. What will we ever do about that? Also, they say that the border wall is racist, by the way. 16. The president went
6: to the heart of what I call his brown menace theory. These migrants,
3: they're dirty people. They bring disease. This border wall thing is about controlling the browning of America. Donald Trump is fixated
1: on the southern border as he was the day that he announced this campaign. It is not about securing the borders. It is about uh, xenophobic, racist, bigoted beliefs. He
3: believes, and, and unfortunately, maybe the facts will bear this out. His base is scared of anyone who is not visibly white.
1: I mean, it's just all slanders. I want to know if a wall is racist, shouldn't we be watching Democrats talk about how they want to tear down the existing wall and say the San Diego sector, which has been keeping out a flood of illegals? I mean, if, if a wall is racist. Why aren't they telling us that we need to take down the walls that do exist and the fencing that's already there? Oh, it's only a new wall is racist Then, only more fencing is racist. That's that's a fascinating position. I'd love to hear Schumer and Pelosi try to explain that one sometime. Americans really care about. If you based it on what gets uh, media coverage, if you were to look at this and uh, make your decisions based upon what the journalist class thinks matters, it's just an endless array of uh, sob stories about everybody who tries to come to the country illegally and then Trump, the latest evil Thing that someone that knew Trump once somewhere thought he did. I mean, it's just, that's what the media focuses on all the time. Meanwhile, you, now look, I'm not a big poll guy, because I think that polling is often an invitation for somewhat lazy analysis. But I, I did think that this is an important reminder because it's exactly what, if you would, if I had been asked to guess, and I'm sure you feel the same way, what do Americans, according to this Gallup poll, cite as the biggest problems the biggest problems in America right now. You know what they say based on the percentages? Government, immigration, health care. That's about right. That's about right. That makes sense to me. And immigration is a problem, yes, in many ways. But the American people are not with the progressive left on advocating for unlimited illegal immigration continuously and, and just pretending it's either not a problem or just saying that they want more of it. The American people are not on board for that, by and large. Maybe 20 or 30% are, but the rest of the country is not. Why is government a problem? Well, I think that's kind of self-evident. That's a whole, that's a whole show right there. Why is government a problem? I think a lot of it, though, also has to do with our expectations. There's so much overpromising promising. Uh, there's so much that government is involved in that it's not good at. That it's understanding that understandable that people across the across the board, from all sides of the political aisle, are frustrated with what's going on with government because it is not doing what it has set out to do. It is not particularly effective, uh, and there are important conversations to be had about this. You know, there's a, there's whole discussions about. I mean, I just, I got on a little health care rant before, but. Government's gonna be in charge of more of your health care in five years, in ten years than it is now. So we might as well start to figure out how to make it less terrible at it. You know, how to make it less of an unaccountable bureaucracy than it already is. Uh, the the free marketeers are losing ground every day. And we do not have a look for all the things about President Trump that I think on a policy on a policy level I like. You now he is he is for a muscular federal government he is not a limited government small government guy um, not when it comes to trade not when it comes to a whole lot of issues he wants the government to be uh, very involved in aspects of trade and commerce and so where are we heading with all of this not to a very good place i got you know i'm starting to get a little maybe it's just this week with all the bad news about I don't want to say bad news. I just mean negative news. I don't think the news is nearly as damaging as they want to pretend it is about Trump and everybody around him. Um, But they make it sound like any day day now we're going to have that moment where that moment where we all realize, oh no, they finally got him. The president's not going to be able to continue in office because of this. This is just not reality-based. But unfortunately, it's good ratings for the media to do this. And it feeds into what is essentially a a left-wing delusion here. Very interesting column from uh, Saurabh Amari. I should have reached out to him, but I got busy with some things today. But he wrote in the New York Post about this, about how in his home country of Iran, he's now a U.S. citizen, but he was born in Iran, how even the most educated, the most sophisticated people believe in conspiracies. And particularly in the case of Iran, the conspiracies are either... Uh, related to Jews or America or both. That's where the conspiracy theorists go. And it's hard to parody the level of conspiracy mongering that goes on in Iran. It, by the way, it's also true in other, it's true in Iraq, it's true in Egypt. There's a lot of, the East is a very conspiracy-minded place. People say the same about Russia and parts of Eastern Europe, I think too, where the general public, including the most sophisticated players, are believers in conspiracy theories. We have that problem in this country now too. And we have this problem in a way that mirrors the problem, let's say, in another advanced industrialized Western democracy like France, where instead of believing that the reason in France the yellow vests are rioting and why there's so much public support for them, it's because the French elite, the establishment, is making stupid decisions that are disconnected from the reality of people's day-to-day lives and that are ideologically based and that are unsound in practice, instead of accepting that, they think that, oh, there's some, this is the result of some right-wing forces, or there's an excuse. They find an excuse to not deal with the real problem. That is at the heart of the hatred against Trump and the Trump movement as well. The elites of both parties, stretching back for decades now, have been inept at the following things they have been inept at creating a more stable middle east for example they have been inept at dealing with the debt in fact the debt is by far worse than it has ever been they cannot reform entitlements they they cannot come up with major improvements to the healthcare system that are that are government mandated they cannot control the border they can, you know you go down this list Neither side can figure this out, and they both say they can figure this out. Neither side can make real progress on these matters. In fact, they just keep getting worse. And maybe Trump won't be able to solve this either. That's looking increasingly likely right now. But at least it gives us a moment to say, we're going to try something else because you clowns in both parties can't get this done. Meaning you in the establishment, you who have been... You know the, the the Bush dynasty advisors, the the Clinton hangers-on. You know, the Ob- not been able to do what you said you would do. You cannot fix the major problems of this country. So at least we're going to go to somebody else. We're going to try something different. And if nothing else, it's a rebuke of the inability of the elites to handle these problems. And what do they come back with? Well, something that would be right at home in. Tehran, a complex conspiracy theory promulgated, uh, propagandized by the very elites who feel rattled, who feel that their position is threatened by the slow revelation that the public has had that those people in charge don't know what the heck they're doing. They're not that smart and we need to do something about it. Instead of accepting those basic facts, the media, the the GOP and Democrat establishment have looked at Trump like some sort of space alien and created effectively an alien invasion narrative. The Russia collusion fable to explain this instead of dealing with. We've got more coming up, team. Stay with me.
5: We've never seen a president of the United States who actually acts more in some ways like a common grifter. And and I looked up the definition of grifter the other day in, in the dictionary, and it seems to suit Donald Trump perfectly in terms of the way he has conducted himself all his life, but including, astonishingly enough, in his presidency. The idea of being a grifter while at the same time being president of the United States, a flim flam artist a con man, someone who lies, somebody who uses instruments uh, at his command to obtain and do things that are untoward uh, and and underhanded.
1: Like what? There you get Carl Bernstein, beloved by the left-wing mainstream media, on this rant about how Trump is a con man. Where are the details? How how has he been a con man as president of the United States? Where where is the con? I want to know because he lies about unimportant matters, because he exaggerates, because he oversells, uh, because he trolls liberals. I mean, but but where is the con that we're supposed to care about? It's what exactly? And at what point do we start to realize? as a nation i think you know we already realize it but when does the rest of the country catch on to the fact that if you unleash the media and the prosecutorial arm of the federal government on a person and everyone around that person with the obvious mission of search and destroy the person's going to be ruined their reputation will be ruined uh their professional life will be ruined. Their personal life may be destroyed. And at the end of all that, they may lose their freedom as well. Nobody could withstand this. You know, one of the things that has been most amazing about Trump has just been his willingness to stay in the fight. You know, I've had days where I thought, man, maybe Trump is just, he's just had it, man. He doesn't need this. He doesn't want to do this. He had a nice life. He's a billionaire, beautiful wife, lovely kids, grandkids. He doesn't need to do this. Yeah, I know. He's got a very big ego. Everybody in politics has a very big ego. but And I wonder if he would have signed on for this knowing what he was going to be put through. But this sends people always talk about the undermining of our institutions and they discuss how, oh, Trump does this and that. What I always think is anyone who is looking at what Trump and the people around him are being put through, anyone who's paying attention to this, is coming away with the following message. If you have a good life, if you're happy, if you're successful, if you have, you know, a good family and you've been, you know, you're just and by the way, successful doesn't mean rich. It just means, you know, you have what you need and what you what what do you need to be happy in life, and you know, you've acquired enough that you're comfortable, whatever that means for you, would you really want to challenge the machine? You know, do you do you want to be a part of of this effort? to change things in this country for the better, to restore some sense of sanity in in public discussions about issues that we've been lied to. I mean, I keep telling you, we're lied to about immigration all the time. I mean, the mainstream media, the so-called guardians of truth, lie to you about immigration all the time. And when they get pushed on it, they just get upset, they get angry. You know, I I had someone today come in to rising from the uh, Natural Resource Defense Council, arguing for why it's some big win this this plan in Poland with the 200 nations to limit, you know, to limit their CO2 and they're going to stop climate change. I said, look, not only is this unenforceable, but this meeting today is based upon things like China promising to meet its benchmarks in 10 years about less pollution. You know what's going to happen in 10 years? China's going to show up at the next meeting, you know, and, and and get a lot of pat on the back from everybody around, you know, whoever the representatives are from China. And nothing will have changed. And we'll just go, we'll just keep going through this. We'll keep going through this whole process. But if you ask very basic questions, as I did, like, why do we even care about this? When even if everybody did exactly what they, if every country at this, you probably, I don't even know if you paid attention to this, they just had essentially the, Follow up to the Paris Climate Accord meeting. They had it in Poland and the U.S. is fortunately because of Trump not not signing on for all this nonsense. But even if they did what everyone says they're going to do at this meeting. They wouldn't even maintain or they wouldn't keep CO2 levels below or, or, you know, they wouldn't keep the temperature below because of CO2 levels. uh, What is necessary to avoid, quote, catastrophic climate change. So even if they did this perfectly, it's not enough. But they still want to pat themselves on the back. I mean, this is just a big self-congratulation circle for everybody who supports it, for everybody who's there. This is meaningless. It's nonsense. And they become hostile to you for pointing this out. It's obvious, but they, they respond with hostility and outrage. And, oh, the science says, if I have one more person that could not tell me the temperature at which water boils, explain to me that the science says the following climate change nonsense. I'm going to lose my mind. But then there's also this part of me that that sees what the, the, the Trump effect is, if you will. Or maybe you call it the Mueller effect, where you have people getting destroyed because they want to stand for the truth. They have, you have people getting destroyed because they want to be able to have an open and honest conversation about things that really matter. Uh, because they think that it will be better for the country in the short run and the long run if there's honesty around important public policy issues. And honesty requires a willingness to hear uncomfortable things, uncomfortable truths, uncomfortable theories, ideas. Otherwise, what you have is this echo chamber effect getting stronger and stronger all the time where the so-called elites, the, the, the enlightened class among us, uh, get to determine what, you know, and I always wonder, wh- wh- you know, why do they think whenever I sit down with some of these climate change alarmists, I go, what? Very few of them were better than I was at school. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, very few of them are people that academically, because I know who they are and I know what their backgrounds are. The ones that go on TV to talk about this, that they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have wowed me in the classroom. They wouldn't have outdone me in the classroom if we had been in the same place doing this. So wh- why am I supposed to think that they, they know so much more on this and that I'm, so crazy that I can't even question it. What is this based in? It's really based in this this elitism that people have bought into on the left and it's it's a uh, a hallmark of the Democratic Party now. You don't have to be smart, you just have to support the smart the smart people, which are the Democrats. You don't have to know anything, you just have to say you're for the party of science and and, and math and facts, which are the Democrats. But they're not the party of science and maths. In fact, they think a man can be a woman. They, they got big problems in the fact department, in the Democratic Party. Big problems, indeed. Uh, and I, I know I got a little I, I got off this uh, topic here, but, you know, Carl Bernstein, he was really referring to this study, And I think there's a lot of talk because the Trump Foundation, the charitable foundation started by Donald Trump is going to be sh- uh, shut down because the New York state attorney general who big surprise? Another you know huge, huge Democrat uh, says that there was a shocking pattern of illegality. So they're just dissolving this. They're dissolving the the chair, the Trump charity. I don't know much about the Trump charity. I'd have to look into this and see you know what was really going on here. Was it probably poorly run? Maybe who knows? I wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. Um, is that bad? Yeah, that's not. You should have charity should be. But this is this is where I have to turn around and say okay. Does anybody think? that there has been a prosecutor so far who has taken it upon himself or herself to really dig into the Clinton Foundation. And we're going to talk about corrupt charities and illegal dealing through charities. Is there anybody out there who would look at what's going on with the Clinton Foundation and and come away with with the conclusion that this was not shady, that all of this was on the up and up? No, they don't even look. They don't even pay any attention. This is... The 2 tier justice system we have, one for Democrats, one for Republicans. It's a huge problem. It's pulling this country apart. You can't trust those left-wing social media sites. They're engaged in lots of shadow banning, engaged in all kinds of bias with the algorithms and the different ways that they decide what you see and when you see it. Snippy.com doesn't have any of those problems, right? If you've looked at Snippy.com in the past and left, look again. Thousands of my listeners have joined snippy.com, which is a new social media site where you can express your opinions and get a fiery conversation going about whatever subject is top of mind snippy is totally unbiased. It's a place where people are free to express their thoughts and share their opinions. Don't get stuck in the rut of wondering if your stuff is getting seen, which is a problem for people now on Facebook and on Twitter. You know, if you're a conservative, you worry about this. Snippy is totally free to join. This is a free service, free to post, free to set up your account. So just go to Snippy.com today and let your opinion matter. No banning, no shadow banning, no suppression of conservative thought ever. Now with an updated user interface and exciting new features available in the Apple App Store, Snippy.com, your new alternative social media.
3: We're arguing that he was certainly ambushed and that the FBI uh, that we know had clear political bias. We've seen that time and time again. One thing we're 100% sure on is that the president made the right decision in firing James Comey because every single day we learn more and more all of the things that he did that were so far out of bounds for what the FBI director should do. And we'll see how that plays out in court today. Well, just one but more. Certainly question on that's this, one then. thing that we're 100 yeah. uh, percent. certain. The, the,
1: uh, so what the heck happened today in federal court in Virginia? What was Judge Sullivan doing and what does it mean for for Flynn, for the Mueller probe, for justice and the rule of law in America, to uh, make sense of those very straightforward issues. We have our friend Sean Davis back in action here. He is the co-founder of The Federalist. You can also follow him on Twitter uh, at Sean C. Davis, uh, where he fights for for truth, justice, uh, and and the American way all the time. Sean, great to have you, man.
0: Great to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: All right, well, what happened today with Judge Sullivan, with Flynn, with the special counsel? It just seemed like a, a, a real blow to the confidence of the American people that, that the folks who are ha- have all this power understand the law.
0: Yeah, so what happened was today was to be the sentencing for Flynn, who pleaded guilty to one charge of making false statements to the FBI that stemmed back to a January 24th, 2017 interview he had with counter intel FBI agent Peter Strzok and another agent whose name uh, has been redacted from the filings. And what has happened over the last year or so is through a series of filings, through a lot of documents we've learned, uh, people started to cast doubt on what actually happened with that flea, wondering, well, did he lie? Why have we not seen the original FBI document? from that conversation um, with how they uh, wrote down what he actually said or what they said he said. And late last week, the judge ordered all those documents to be filed. Uh, it's interesting that they, they weren't filed and made available uh, over you know, a nearly two-year-long investigation until uh, Judge Sullivan uh, ordered them to be made available. And then on Monday, late last night, they uh, – Judge Sullivan ordered the original 302 to be filed, and we they looked through that. That gets us to this morning and this afternoon, uh, which was the plea. And what happened was, through a series of court filings, Flynn's people had kind of intimated that maybe he didn't lie, maybe the feds had been – Uh, a little wishy-washy with the evidence. Uh, Maybe this was all coercion. He hadn't been given a lawyer. And what Judge Emmett Sullivan did is he gave Flynn an opportunity to just take those intimations from the filing head on. He said, do you want to withdraw your plea? And Flynn said, no. And I think that kind of took Sullivan aback, having read the filings uh, and, and, and the implications that were in there. And he said, so you did lie. Yes, I did lie. Did you know you you could have had a lawyer? Yes, I knew. Did you know that lying to the feds was a crime? Yes, I knew that. And that seemed to set the judge off um, because he has a reputation of wanting all the facts from the FBI. He took the extraordinary measure of requiring all these documents to be made public. He got them, and he looked and said, wait, there's nothing there there, number one. And number two, I'm giving you the opportunity to withdraw the plea, and you're not doing it. What on earth is going on? And that seemed to set the tone for the whole hearing.
1: But then there was that exchange where he said, couldn't someone make the case that you sold out your country? And then the judge went to went to a recess and came back and said, that's not what I meant to say. Well, what do you make of that?
0: Yeah, that that was really odd. And it seemed to be based on a, uh, a mischaracterization of the facts, which I think is why the judge came back. He seemed to be under the impression when he made the initial charge, He said, "Well, you could have been charged on the Logan Act. You were an unregistered foreign agent while you were a national security advisor. You know, I might even say you're a traitor. The actual facts were that he had stopped that work uh, for Turkey or for Turkish interests before he became national security advisor. So it kind of, kind of wasn't operative there. Um, so that was a very strange outburst from the judge, although taken outside of the legal context, I kind of agree with him. The, the charges that they got him to plead to – in my mind, are not nearly serious as serious as the ones uh, they didn't go after him on, namely being an unregistered agent of a foreign government. Um, I think that's far more serious um, than making false statements to the FBI in an interview, which they actually had no business. Uh, yeah,
1: having I, I, I agree, and I think this is a, this is a part that that doesn't get enough attention. I, I think that Flynn, look, I think Flynn got hosed. I mean, yes, he lied, but they, you know, they they set him up to lie, and they obviously. Didn't do similar things with Hillary or any of her top people, the emails and everyone sees that disparity and and understands that that's just that's the two tier justice system we have at work uh, for Democrats and Republicans, unfortunately. But on this Flynn stuff, being involved with guys who are trying to get a Turkish, uh, a, a Turkish dissident from Pennsylvania extradited to Turkey for charges of being involved in a coup that. Nobody who knows the issue that I know have any belief that he actually was involved in where he will be tortured and disappeared (laughs) is is not okay.
0: No, it's not. And, And that's part of my I have so many problems with the Mueller investigation, namely because it's very one sided. You had Tony Podesta, the brother of Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman, who was an unregistered foreign agent. He was Paul Manafort's business partner. He had Mercury Public Affairs doing the same thing. None of those people got charged. You know, John Podesta's brother didn't get charged, even though he was doing this thing. You had Andrew McCabe, who, according to the Department of Justice Inspector General, lied four times to federal agents, including, I believe, three times under oath. Okay. Where are the false statements? Yeah, why hasn't he
1: been you charged, by the way? Do we ever get an answer to that? Uh,
0: I have I have no idea. I, we know that Hillary and her people made false statements. They weren't charged. We know that Hillary's people not only were not charged, but fact witnesses posing as attorneys were allowed to be in these depositions and interviews with him. And oh, by the way, at the end of that, they got immunity. So my beef is not specifically with how Flynn was charged or why. If he he lied, he deserves to pay the consequence. Um, I don't understand this two-tiered system of justice, this two Americas where if you have the right politics, you can do whatever you want and get off scot-free. But if you have the wrong politics, uh, my goodness, we're going to make sure you go to prison or you have the convict uh, scarlet letter on you for the rest of your life. It, it's it's the miscarriage and, and the misapplication of justice across both spectrum, both political parties that I find so disturbing here.
1: Why do you think that this got pushed off at the Flynn sentencing, got pushed off to March? I'm, I'm seeing a lot of different theories about this. And after today, I, I sit here and I say, well, I, I could believe a couple of different things. What do you think?
0: Well, so I don't know. I'm not in uh, Judge Sullivan's head. The impression that I got was that he was very upset by the kind of tiptoeing games that Flynn's counsel were trying to play. He was upset about the unregistered foreign agent stuff. He was upset that Flynn was saying he took responsibility while kind of intimating in filings that maybe it wasn't his fault. It, It seemed to me very clear that the judge wanted to sentence Flynn to some amount of prison time despite the recommendation from the the prosecutors that he get get none. And so I think what he is doing, especially in light of this FARA case that came up yesterday with two of Flynn's Turkish associates, that he wants to give Flynn another 90 days to help uh, DOJ uh, in any way he can cooperate in that case – and then at the nine, end of 90 days, we'll kind of see where his attitude is and what his contributions are, and then the judge will sentence him then. So I think what the judge was actually doing was restraining his own impulse to want to sentence Flynn to prison and give him one more chance to show that he accepts uh, responsibility uh, for what he did.
1: You know, I, I, why did Flynn lie? Uh, people ask me this all the time, and I say, look, the, the heads of the intelligence community in general in the last two years if they were a stock, the stock has plummeted. I mean, it, you know, we, we don't think of because of people like Brennan, because of people like uh, like Hayden and Clapper. I, the place where I used to work does not have the same uh, luster in the public's eye as, as it once did. And, and I think rightfully so. But I think you got to put Flynn in that category, too, at this point. What the heck was he thinking?
0: Well, I mean, yeah, it, it's I, I will say my confidence in the intelligence community uh, has been in uh Very low in the tank for a while, starting with James Clapper lying to Congress under oath about mass surveillance. John Brennan lying to Congress under oath about spying on Congress itself. Uh, Who knows what gets into the heads of these people? Why did he think he didn't need a lawyer? Clearly, you have two FBI agents there trying to ring you up. Then, even knowing that they had the transcripts of his phone calls, apparently chose to give them very different characterizations than what they had in front of them who knows why people do what they do. But if he lied, he deserves to be held accountable for
1: it. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think we can just, and this is just, I'm just expressing my frustration at this at this point, but, you know, Sean, there are limits to stupid, right? I mean, th- usually you run to a place of such stupid, I mean, to, to not tell the truth when the guys that are there are going to go back and look at exactly word for word what you said and to not have a lawyer present and to think that you could compose on the spot and get away, it's just... It just defies belief. And there was no crime. I mean, the other part of this that gets me frustrated is just that there's to your point, you know, who gets charged and who doesn't. People need to understand that's everything. Forget about trial by jury. Forget about a vigorous defense. The decision to prosecute is the decision to destroy. But Flynn should know that.
0: He should. Yeah. I mean, I I, I have no reason why that the same question could be asked. Why did McCabe lie? Apparently, he thought he could get away with it. Why did Clapper lie? He thought he could get away with it. Why did Brennan lie? He thought he would, could get away with it. Yeah. Um, three of those four guys were right. So if you're just playing the odds there, maybe it's not such a terrible decision to make beyond the terrible moral and ethical components of it.
1: And so on a, on a much simpler, taking us to a simpler time, a simpler issue, Sean, we're speaking to Sean Davis of The Federalist, everyone, thefederalist.com is where you go to read his latest. Uh, bump stocks. The administration says they're bad, but it's not that easy, is it?
0: No. It, so they came out, issued a new rule today or finalized a new rule today, which characterizes bump stocks, which are just a piece of plastic you put on a gun, which uses the recoil of the gun to move your finger back and forth across the trigger as opposed to you moving, uh, pressing it deliberately. The problem with that, regardless of how you feel about bump stocks, Um, is that they have no legal statutory authority to characterize bump stocks as machine guns, because there's a very, very specific definition in federal law, um, which happens to match uh, actual physics and mechanics of a gun, that says a a machine gun is one where you pull the trigger once and it fires a bunch of bullets. Um, a, A bump stock, even if it gives you the ability to fire real fast, It doesn't eliminate the the need mechanically and physically on a gun to pull the trigger for each round. All it does is accelerate your rate of fire um, by manipulating how uh, how often your finger goes back across the trigger. So I I think the courts are going to take a very hard look at this rule. I I think if they are faithfully applying uh, the statute and the law, it will get tossed out pretty quickly. Uh, Because you simply cannot have an agency going and redefining the law unilaterally uh, when Congress has already specifically said, no, this is what this thing means. You don't get to go change it because you feel like it.
1: Sean Davis of The Federalist, everybody. Sean, always good to talk to you, man.
0: Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Buck.
1: Team, rolling into a quick break here. We'll be back in just a few moments. Introducing a new conservative alternative to liberal-based email services, ipatriots.us iPatriots.us is not a left-wing, full-of-progressive-ideas company, okay? This is a secure, private email service that includes more of what you want without all the ads and spam. With iPatriots.us, you get 30 gigs of cloud storage, larger attachment sizes, and a whole lot more. Your email, your files are all safe with iPatriots' premium antivirus, anti-spam encryption system. They won't sell your information or support liberal agendas like most of the free email providers out there. iPatriots.us is compatible with most mobile devices, iPhone, iPad, Android, Windows Mobile, and Blackberry. Works on any Windows or Mac computer. Show you're a patriot. Go to iPatriots.us now. Choose your membership program and input your desired iPatriots email address during checkout. Enter promo code. This is important. Promo code BUCK for 10% savings during your first year of membership. You know, you have so many different legal interpretations of what really is going on here with Flynn and what the implications are. And, you know, you've got very, very smart people coming at this from different perspectives, in some cases, wildly different perspectives. And I know that uh, Judge Knapps is running around. Speaking of different perspectives, Judge Napolitano, and he's saying that he thinks Trump could be indicted based on what they already have right now. I'm just like, Judge, what are you talking about? I, I, I like Judge Knapp, but I think he's I think he's way off on this one. But, for example, you know, you got Dirsh saying that Flynn was was coerced here, but that didn't seem to hold water today based on what the judge was saying to him. But, you know, here's the Dirsh play 11. I don't believe it was a valid plea.
4: I think that Flynn was coerced into pleading guilty to a crime of which he was innocent. He was coerced by threats against his son, threats against his fortune. And the reason I think he was innocent is even if he told an untruth, which it seems as if he did, it was not a material untruth the government already knew everything they asked him about they knew that he had conversations with the diplomat they knew the nature of the conversations they had recordings of it and when you ask a question that you already know the answer to and you have proof of the answer there's only one purpose to the question and that is to elicit a lie to do a morality test and that is not a proper function of the fbi i hope the judge will agree with that. It will take a lot of courage for the judge to throw out a plea that has already been accepted
1: by him. Didn't look like that judge is ready for that today. We got 90 days now to figure out what's going to happen here. But I, I, I think that the Dersh is right here on the issue of material, a material lie. Uh, you know, if I if I'm asked, you know, who I emailed last week, and I name nine out of 10 people, and that 10th person is just a memory lapse, that isn't a material lie necessarily i mean it could be but you know if they ask me what i had for breakfast 2 weeks ago and i think i had a bagel but really i had cornflakes that doesn't matter unless there's some reason for it to matter you know it can't just be uh, a function of your recollection of a fact is different from what they what they believe it is or what they can prove it is because memory is is imperfect and it has to also matter it has to matter. That's what material means. It has to matter, and Flynn's lie did not matter. Uh, so, they, but they they apply that statute now in a way where they can effectively get you. They'll say anything matters. You know, but we got Andy McCarthy. He's got a a, a different a different take on this from play thirteen.
4: This is one of the um, one of the real curiosities of the way this has been covered. What's happened here is Mueller has recommended something that I think is almost certain to happen anyway. That is, if Mueller hadn't made any recommendation of no jail time, this judge would impose no jail time on General Flynn because his crime crime is trivial and on the other side of the ledger, he's given 33 years of decorated heroic service to the United States and he's a first offender. In a normal case, he would get no jail time. But with Mueller making a motion to get him no jail time, the coverage will now be he got no jail time because of the explosive cooperation he gave to the Mueller investigation. And I just don't think there's any evidence that he did that.
1: And yet now we're in a position where it sounded like, and we just talked to Sean about this, it sounded like the judge was about to give him jail time. I mean, this is the whole whole thing is such a mess. And then you have Jonathan Turley. I mean, since we're going with the big legal eagles who are appearing on all the networks these days, here's Jonathan Turley, who is saying that this is actually serious. He says that it is material, that this is serious. Play 12. You can see why the original agents reportedly didn't believe he was intentionally
4: lying. Uh, you know, So the question is, is this a sort of a case of being you know, charged as a crime for being a chump? I mean, because he goes to this meeting without a lawyer. They bypass the protocol to let the White House counsel be aware of this interview and this
5: request. Um, and it just snowballs out of control. And that violation of protocol, I wrote in a column recently, is a very serious one.
1: Yeah. So the, the, I'm sorry. So what, what he views as serious is what the FBI did. So, you know, you got people coming to this from from all over the place. Uh, you know, people are saying that, oh, he's guilty. He lied. You know, close the you know, close the book on this. It's all over with for you'd like to think that in a, in a case like this, there could be some agreement over what's really gone on here, over what over what matters, So far, most of the facts are in agreement, although I need to understand, how is it that the original FBI agents didn't think he was, is it because they compared it to transcripts later on? And then they looked at what he said and they compared it, but they didn't keep an exact transcript of what he said, from what I understand. They were taking notes. So how is it possible? And and I'm just thinking through this with all of you, how could he be caught in a lie later on? based only upon the notes and therefore the recollection of the FBI agents talking to him. Wouldn't you need the specificity of his exact words and the exact words of the transcript and compare them side by side? Well, they don't have a transcript of what Flynn told the FBI agents, from what I understand. It wasn't recorded. And beyond that, where, where does it actually get dealt with, whether this is material or not? And what if the FBI guy taking this down, Struck, wasn't telling the truth? We just, we're not allowed to believe that that's possible? So a lot going on in the legal world. I want to bring in some uh, expertise and uh, some some legal background to weigh in on all this. We have Sydney Powell with us now. She's a former federal prosecutor. Uh, she used to work specifically on a lot of appeals-level issues and then also the author of License to Lie and a London Center fellow Sydney, thank you so much for uh, for joining us on the program
2: my pleasure Buck thank you for having me I enjoy your show thank you uh so so please
1: t- tell me just what, what's your reaction to what happened today at the Flint sentencing in that courtroom because it seemed uh like like the judge didn't even really know what was going on what happened today
2: I think he has a number of concerns that were raised by both what the government's been filing and what the defense filed, and by the very nature of the plea itself, as well as the factual basis for the plea. And they weren't all resolved today. So I was very glad that General Flynn accepted his offer of additional time and postponing the sentencing. The story that I think a lot of people are missing is that the judge has additional questions that he is going to be asking the prosecution in particular, as well as the defense giving them a chance to answer them. One of which is, how were the statements that General Flynn made even material to the investigation that the FBI was supposedly conducting since they knew the answers to the questions they went over to ask him? And that goes to the very validity of the factual basis for the plea itself.
1: I also would want to know, and and perhaps I missed this, Sidney, but to my understanding, it has still not been made clear what exactly the crime was that they were supposed to be investigating when they went to speak to General Flynn.
2: Well, there wasn't one.
1: Well there you fact, go. Well, that, so then that's a yeah, yes. I think
2: that was actually made clear today because he got the government to admit that there was no crime in General Flynn talking to ambassador Kislyak. And in fact when he uh, when the um, special counsel assistant mentioned the possibility of the Logan Act. He was practically laughed out of the courtroom and Judge Sullivan said, oh, you mean that statute that nobody's ever been prosecuted under and the whole courtroom burst out in laughter.
1: Right. So, you know, why would I I keep hearing from people? Oh, well, Flynn lied, Flynn lied. and, And that's all that matters. And that's all that anybody's supposed to care about here. Meanwhile, from from what we're actually hearing, there was a decision made. I mean, did you ever see anything like this when you were working as a as a federal prosecutor where the FBI is like, well, there's no crime here. Let's just go ask this person a bunch of questions and and, and hope that he lies or she lies about something.
2: No, I've never seen anything like this in any way, shape or form. It is beyond appalling.
1: You know, it what are we to make of all of this? Up. I mean, you've got James Comey running around saying that the FBI uh the FBI's reputational damage is is the result of of Fox News and Trump and Republicans who have no spine meanwhile he acts like Andy McCabe who was acting FBI director wasn't fired for lying under oath several times according to the inspector general report which as i understand it is also prosecutable so uh, you know it's it's like oh, we're yeah, we're living in a bizarro staff, land here where to... no one's really keeping track of what's happened sydney
2: yeah, there are three federal felonies outlined that should be indicted already in the spec- in the inspector general's report. And I mean, why haven't they been indicted? I mean, this two-tiered system of justice we have just it's mind boggling you
1: know, a- a- An article that you that you wrote, and we're speaking to Sidney Powell, who is a former federal prosecutor and author of License to Lie. An article that you wrote, you know, got got my attention. It's one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the program. Although I also saw you uh, uh, do some very good analysis on on Fox and Friends. That this notion that people don't lie about lying, <laughs> rather than that when you are <laughs> prosecuted by the federal government and say, "Okay, I am going to plead to a one zero zero one charge," then you must be guilty. End of story. End of case. What's what's your as somebody who did this, who was involved in hundreds and hundreds of federal prosecutions, well, what's the truth of this?
2: Well, it happens all the time now. I mean, when I was a federal prosecutor, and I'm, I'm not going to mention how old I am, I could probably be your mother, but, um, you know, we we did not do this. We we always thought, and I worked for nine different U.S. attorneys from both political parties in three different districts across the country. I mean, every U.S. attorney I worked for said, listen, there are more than enough dangerous crimes out there. You don't need to be making anything up, and you don't need to go looking for something. You know, prosecute what we've got. We've got got plenty. But the prosecutors now, it's like the higher profile, more high profile person they can take down is the way they look at it. You know, the higher the CEO or the CFO or the general or whatever, the prouder they are of themselves and and the bigger notch they get on their belt for doing it. Well, that's not the way we worked at all. So you have this whole different mindset of what a prosecution is, and they pride themselves on seeing how many crimes they can throw at people. So it leaves people with no choice but to plead guilty, because the beating they're taking by pleading guilty isn't as bad as the beating they're going to take if they try to fight it. Just look at the difference between General Flynn and Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort just tried to reach out to a potential witness that he didn't even know was on General uh, special counsel's witness list and he finds himself in solitary confinement and had his all his assets frozen so he can't hire counsel all his children's assets frozen and and he what what's he to do how's he to fight
1: yeah i think that that's a that's a part of this this story overall with the special counsel that people don't have enough of an appreciation of i i know of some i had a friend who was a criminal defense attorney and and he was involved in a very very high profile case where somebody he just told me straight up. He's like, look, this this person pleaded guilty because it was take the plea or go bankrupt and then probably go to prison for three times as long as you'll get if you don't take the plea. And he just figured, I I can't I can't win.
2: They feel like there's absolutely no way out. And the only thing they can do is plead guilty. And if that happens to somebody in the position of General Flynn, imagine what they do to poorer people who have no resources, no financial resources, no community resources, no sterling career to hold up on and point to. And, you know, they're just totally screwed.
1: Do you have an opinion on on either the reputation or just the ethics that you've seen from from this uh, this special counsel so far Uh, But about some of the individuals involved, specifically, what do you think of or did you know of Mueller? What do you think of or did you know of uh, Weissman? I mean, the people that are running this, because you hear very conflicting things about this in the media.
2: Oh, well, I mean, this is easy. Andrew Weissman is the lead villain in my book, License to Lie. And one of only three ethics complaints I've ever filed in my life is against Andrew Weissman and two of his colleagues in, in License to Lie.
1: And why was why do you follow that? I mean, tell people, I think people should know about who this Weissman guy is. And from a former federal prosecutor, you know, as well, from somebody who was ostensibly on the same team, so to speak. What was Weissman doing? What do people need to know about this guy? We know Mueller's number two.
2: Yeah, they literally made up crimes. They destroyed Arthur Anderson and eighty five thousand jobs all for nothing. The Supreme Court reversed it in a unanimous decision two years later, uh, finding that the they literally had not charged a valid crime against Anderson, and the jury instructions were so devoid of criminal intent that Justice Rehnquist, writing for the unanimous court, said it was shocking how little criminal intent the jury instructions required so that anybody could have been convicted the way they instructed the jury. And then they made up a crime against four Merrill Lynch executives, who sent four Merrill Lynch executives to prison for a year on an indictment that didn't state a federal offense, while they actually yellow-highlighted the evidence they knew proved their innocence and surgically excised it from the meager summaries they gave the defense in preparation for the trial. And they hid that evidence for six years. It was only by accident that we discovered it when the third team of prosecutors accidentally gave me the disc that had the yellow highlighted information on it.
1: And I think that's one part of this that uh, that that, Sydney, that, that- people generally don't have an appreciation uh, of or they don't have an understanding of. And that is that even when prosecutors engage in egregious misconduct, the sanctions against them. I mean, the real oversight is pretty limited.
2: Oh, absolutely nothing. Nothing happens to them. I mean, one of the cases in my book is the Ted Stevens case, the senator from Alaska Who's, Judge Sullivan is the judicial hero of my book because he threw out the conviction against Senator Ted Stevens for egregious government misconduct, hiding evidence that showed he was innocent. And it cost the Alaska, the state of Alaska, their Senate seat, changed the balance of power in the United States Senate. What happened to those prosecutors? Nothing. And yeah, so it's, they're it's, a a... Department of Justice by that time.
1: It's astonishing. And by the way, that was a vote that was necessary to get Obamacare through, if memory serves.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, yep. you know, what do we do about this? I mean, it, what?
2: One of them got a 30-day suspension, and, uh, uh, but neither of them served it. One served a one-day suspension.
1: What What, what can we do? I mean, it, it feels like there is a 2 tier justice system. It feels like somehow the left and, and the statists and the progressives have managed to uh, take over some of the court or maybe they just use the corridors and the levers of power differently than than uh, people who are constitutionalists and people on the right do. But, it, I, you know, I can't find any prominent left wing pro Hillary, pro Obama folks who get this same kind of treatment from the federal from the federal prosecutors offices
2: no there isn't one that i know of ever uh, we've got to we've got to curb the power of federal prosecutors in general uh, they just have way too much power and they have absolute immunity they can send an innocent person to prison for the rest of their lives knowing they're completely innocent and not a single thing happens to them
1: that's just that's stunning well the, the book that that i can i recommend everybody check out is Licensed to Lie, author Sidney Powell, former federal prosecutor. Sidney, thank you so much for joining us on the show, and we'd be, uh, we'd be honored to have you back sometime.
2: Thank you, Buck. Anytime at all, I really appreciate the work that you do. All right,
1: team, rolling into a quick break. We'll be right
2: back. What impact does it
4: have when the president calls Michael Cohen a rat, someone who's cooperating with an investigation and questions how his office was uh, raided by the FBI?
6: It undermines the rule of law. This is the president of the United States calling a witness who has cooperated with his own Justice Department a rat. Say that again to yourself at home and remind yourself where we have ended up. This is not about Republicans and Democrats. This is about what does it mean to be an American? What are the things that we care about, above our policy disputes, which are important. There's a set of values that represent the glue of this country, and they are under attack by things just like that. We have to stop being numb to it. Whether you're a Republican or Democrat, you need to stand on your feet, overcome your shame, and say something.
1: Oh, the sanctimony from Sancti Comey. It continues on. Every time this guy gets a chance, it's always about America and fundamental decency and our values. Meanwhile, was it about fundamental decency for him to try to take down a president with leaks to a newspaper about a private conversation he had with the president of the United States in the Oval Office? I'm, I'm just wondering, is that was that about fundamental decency? Anyone want to get into that one? Oh, uh, what about leaking classified documents? Would that, would that be? Or even just sensitive documents? What about the lack of honor? That Comey displayed, forget about the law for a moment, just the lack of honor as a person, where he would, as a senior government official, sit down with the president of the United States and for purely personal gain and out of spite, leak the details of a conversation to the media, jam up the president of the United States as if he doesn't have more important things to do than suffer to placate Comey's massive six foot 11 and change ego. When it comes to leaking classified documents, Comey, who was down on Capitol Hill, and he, look, he loves all the attention. He loves all of this. Uh, Comey didn't really want to talk about that when Catherine Herridge of Fox News asked him, play clip four.
3: My understanding is that when you shared your memos with your legal team, that there was a follow-up for a classified containment operation by the Bureau. Was there a spill of classified information when you shared those memos?
6: <clears throat> yeah, I'm not going to talk about
1: something like that. So, well,
3: that's important to talk about whether classified information was mistaken. Whether you
6: think it is or not, I'm not going to talk about it one way or another. Go
1: ahead. Sir. Ooh, Comey got a little, ooh, didn't like that one. Didn't like, all of a sudden he's not the tallest guy in the room. All of a sudden he's not so into... You know, being America's lecturer in chief here, a post formerly held by Barack Obama, by the way, love to lecture the American people. Uh, but, you know, Comey loves to lecture the American people, too. And then, you know, there, there's just so much here that when you look at it, I mean, Comey is is symptomatic or he is a symptom of the broader problem, which is the establishment hated Trump. They still hate Trump. And look, there's a lot of reason to criticize Trump. There's a lot of stuff about him that you could pick on that's completely legitimate. But at the end of the day, he saved us from Hillary. What he accomplished politically is just short of a miracle. And there's finally a person who's in the Oval Office, a finally person who's the head of the executive branch of our government, who's willing to talk about issues that you weren't supposed to talk about until now. I mean, we're having the discussion we're having on immigration. As much as I'm frustrated about it, as much as I worry that Trump's not going to be able to follow through on his promise, I'm not saying he hasn't. I'm just saying I'm worried. At least we can discuss whether we want continued, constant illegal immigration just flowing into the country and really talk about what the costs are to this country. Talk about the cost in in dollar figures and in lives due to the cartels and the opioids that are just flooding into this country. That's the only conversation now we can have because of Trump. But the the left and the Democrats and the statists all working together here view him, view Trump, and the ideas that he represents. Put aside the man for a second, the ideas that he represents, like that the, the working, normal, everyday American is getting a raw deal from his government now. That the elites, that the establishment aren't nearly as brilliant and wonderful as they would love to make all the rest of us believe. That their privileged positions do not come from being superior to us in skill, in acumen, in ability, but because of connections and playing the system and exploiting their own levers to get to where they are, whether it's in government or outside of it. All of that is very threatening to these people, which is why. You had the establishment within the government working together to defeat and then destroy Trump when they couldn't defeat him. And that's why when, when, for example, he gets asked, why didn't he tell Sally Yates, who was the acting attorney general. Why not tell Sally Yates about what what was coming up here with this interview with uh, with Flynn? Here's what he said. Play clip three. You didn't tell Sally Yates about this
4: interview with Michael Flynn, the FBI was conducting, until the day of. Why did you wait until the day of to tell Sally Yates about that investigation the FBI is going to have, an in, in, interview with her.
6: Because I knew that if anything came of the interview, if it advanced our investigation, the attack from the Trump administration would be that an Obama holdover had engineered it. And so I had to make the decision separate from her to leave them with their only opportunity. to challenge it would be to burn down the entire FBI. To my shock and horror, they've tried Try to do just that in the face of
1: silence from people in this building. So Comey, McCabe and Strzok, they are the FBI or were they employees of the FBI? And notice the sensitivity about an Obama holdover, Sally Yates engineering this because they knew that was a real thing. <laughs> All right, we, we got more on Sankta Comey coming up here in a moment, team. Stay with me.
3: I think the last person that we're going to take any lecture from about the values of this country is from a self-admitted liar and leaker that we know James Comey to be. There's no doubt that he did uh, a tremendous number of things wrong and brought outrageous corruption to the FBI. He led it with a political bias that is unheard of at an agency like that. And so he'll be the last person that we're going to take any type of lecture from. What we know is that we're fighting every single day to make America better for the people of this country. It's why the president is so focus on making sure we have a strong economy, getting good trade deals, defeating ISIS, remaking the judiciary and fighting for border security like we are seeing him do this week, like you've seen him do every day since he took office. Uh, this is a president who's fully committed to supporting and reflecting the values of the American people. And we certainly won't be lectured Stay by James border Comey about security that.
1: here. Sarah Huckabee Sanders breathing fire in James Comey's direction. I gotta tell you, I liked it. I like it. I, I, I've Comey is the worst. I mean, Comey is the guy who reminds me of the people that I I had to always be concerned about in the in the CIA I and mean, the intelligence community, uh, the, the kind of people who would throw you under the bus just to show that they were doing their job and feel and feel so self righteous about it, and never stop to think: Is this really fair? Is this important? Is this a full reflection of this person's contributions to? you know, to the fight, to defending this country. Um, someone like James Comey just says, you know, the rules are the rules. Until the people that he wants to impress get in trouble, and then all of a sudden, if it's Hillary Clinton, the rules aren't the rules anymore. Then the rules have got to change. These people are very dangerous. Remember, tyranny is not the draconian application of law to everyone. A, a real tyranny is the capricious application of the law based upon whether somebody is part of the in-group or not, part of the favored sector or not. Uh, Because if everyone has to live under a totalitarian, uh, but draconian rather uh, laws, if everyone has to live under the very strict, very severe laws, at least you know what to expect. But James Comey's FBI is, if you're a very prominent political figure and you're a conservative, you know you're getting a different treatment and it also comes from, you know, look, these guys are all humans too, right? They're all, they all have egos. They want the, the glowing treatment of the media. They, they want to be written about in the New York Times for being, you know, America's last honest cop or, you know, whatever, right? They, they love all that stuff. You know Comey loves it. And, you know, that Comey likes this moment that he has in the spotlight after all the damage that he's done to the FBI. And I know FBI folks who will say that. I mean, James Comey is, is a disgrace, A disgrace. And I can tell you as somebody who worked the CIA, Mike Hayden and John Brennan, they've disgraced the CIA with what they've done, particularly Brennan. I mean, Hayden, I I don't know what, I still am shocked at some of the stuff that he said, but part of me just doesn't want to believe that it's, I don't know. I mean, I work for Mike, I just have a, but Brennan is Brennan is off his rocker and and a really dangerous and wacko guy uh, when it comes to the conversation in this country about you know the rule of law and the intelligence community I mean he's really bad news but you know Comey really likes to just just give this this constant lecture it's all about America and the foundation of our ethics and values and it's it's not about being partisan but it is about being partisan with James Comey that's the problem play clip 5.
6: People who know better, including Republican members of this body, have to have the courage to stand up and speak the truth, not be cowed by mean tweets or fear of their base. There is a truth, and they're not telling it. Their silence is shameful.
3: So, of, of the Republicans who are remaining in the House next session, do you see any taking that mantle, coming up and, and defending the FBI, taking on the president?
6: Not yet. To, to my view, to their everlasting shame, I hope they'll overcome that and realize they got to
3: explain
1: to their grandchildren what they did today. No. Sancta to No one's going to have to explain to their grandchildren. No one's going to care. All right. You're, you're, you're not the most you're not the center of this of this national drama that's going to be you know r- written about and, and be, be the story that everybody tells their kids for future generations. No he just it's a petty bureaucrat with too much power too much self-absorption. And no, no ability to self-reflect. I mean, just this guy is, is scary in that regard. Such a, a false humility. And false humility is the scariest kind. Um, coming from this guy, it's really distressing. Um, you know, Bob Goodlatte is asking some very important questions about all this. Uh, here's Bob Goodlatte on Comey and, and the special counsel and how all this has gone down. Play seven.
5: Uh, It's also very interesting that when Loretta Lynch told Mr. Comey to treat the Clinton investigation as a matter, uh, he didn't seek a special counsel. And when Loretta Lynch uh, met with President Bill Clinton on the tarmac, uh, right before the announcement was made regarding that investigation. He didn't seek a special counsel, although he claims he thought about one. But when he was fired, that's when he engaged in leaking documents in order to get, uh, a special counsel appointed. And based on, now that we have, uh, neared the end of this investigation, yeah. based upon, in my opinion,
1: very false premises. Good lad raises something very interesting here about Comey. And that is that there's a clear, he had a clear willingness to, you know, keep it under the vest, keep things quiet, keep it on the down low, as long as he was still going to be FBI director. As long as James Comey gets what he wants, we don't have to worry about the Constitution and the foundation of this country and the ethics and the morals of George Washington and Ben Franklin and blah, 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 blah. As long as James Comey gets to stay as FBI director, none of that seems to matter. It's when Comey loses his job that all of a sudden he goes scorched earth. Oh, isn't that interesting? When Comey would have to return to private life and get paid seven figures again? I mean, he was paid a million dollars a year plus, from what I understand, to be an advisor at a hedge fund in Connecticut. And it just so happened that that hedge fund was one of the very few that Comey's mentee, Prera didn't go after with a vengeance looking for insider trading isn't it, that's a very good investment I got to say for, for that for that hedge fund very good to, very good to have Comey as an advisor on your staff advising on what exactly oh don't ask right? not supposed to ask you know Comey Comey's not for sale you know one one thing I forgot to I keep bringing up that uh, that scooter libby the other special counsel debacle, another Republican administration, Democrats trying to make that seem like, oh my gosh, treason and all, it was terrible. It's all crap. All garbage. They are just trying to destroy a good man because they're angry about Bush and they're angry about, you know, losing the election and the fact that they had to run some, some schlemiel like John Kerry. Uh, you know, they, they ran with this thing with, with the Scooter Libby, but it was based on, It was just based on spite that they went after him. But, you know, Fitzgerald, who's also Comey's lawyer right now, he was the one who went after Conrad Black on honest services fraud. That's the thing. We we keep being told, which I would know got overturned by the Supreme Court. You know, we keep being told that you got to trust these guys. This is the system. They're professionals. And then when you look at the really big cases, the cases that matter, Republicans get treated terribly and there's no corollary on the other side there's there's no equivalent you know there's no democrats who are getting destroyed based on prosecutorial zeal and I, I think that that's noteworthy and you know also I think it's noteworthy that Comey doesn't really want to answer certain questions Bob Goodlat brought that one up play six
5: The year and a half after James Comey was fired, he's still playing games with the Congress over this issue. We've interviewed 14 other witnesses, all of whom who had security clearances uh, but but lost them when they were fired went and got them back on a temporary basis. James Comey refused to do that. So if you read the transcript, you'll note a number of times when he's asked about a matter, he says, well, that's classified. Uh, And the point is even if we had moved the interview into a classified setting, he still would not have been able to answer the questions that he knew the answers to because they were classified and he didn't have clearance to talk about them. That's the kind of things we've had to put up with Mr. Comey. You
1: know, we're, we're never really going to get a lot of these answers, unfortunately. I hate to be the one I have to tell you that. Just like I was telling people right after Romney lost to Obama, you're never going to see justice for what happened in Benghazi. No one's really going to be held accountable. And I was right. I don't know if we're ever going to get all these answers. Very frustrating. I wish it wasn't the case. I don't know if we're ever going to get these answers because the fix is in. The people who make these determinations about the information, who make the determinations about who gets prosecuted, who gets let go, who gets a second chance, who gets crushed. They are of the left now. They're not all hardcore progressives, but they're Democrats, they oppose the Republican Party, and they, unlike many of their Republican counterparts at DOJ and the federal judiciary and elsewhere, are not willing to abuse their power in the same way. There is not an equivalency here between the left and the right. It's it's unfortunate, but... This is the world we're living in now. Uh, The left is weaponizing the law. It's happening right before our very eyes, and it's gotten a lot of help from some folks in the deep state. I want to share some titles with you from a couple left-wing publications about something that happened recently that touches on the double standard whenever issues of the trans or LGBT community are involved and the media is covering it, all right? This one from the Daily Beast, quote, RuPaul loves drag kid Desmond, you will too, fiercely. Back in June, the Today Show promoted this uh, same individual, quote, meet the 10-year-old drag kid taking over social media with an inspiring message. Quote, it really is amazing being in the spotlight because I get so much support and I'm an inspiration to so many people, which is one of my number one goals, Desmond told the Daily Beast. I like all the fame and helping the LGB community fight for our rights. Uh, this is about an 11-year-old boy. And I, I have to hat tip the uh, fine writing over at the Daily Wire for finding this piece. Uh, Amanda Presta-Giacomo is the one who uh, gets the byline here. Just a, about a week ago, an 11-year-old boy, 11 folks, in New York, in a Brooklyn uh, gay bar called $3 Bill, an 11-year-old boy was put on stage, dressed as a uh, as a female. I mean, dressed, as an, I guess, as a woman or as a girl. And they tried to make him a Gwen Stefani lookalike in full drag makeup, a blonde wig, and a crop top as he danced on stage to a No Doubt song and collected dollar bills from adult males who were at the club viewing this. Now, I I would just want to point out that if an 11-year-old girl showed up at a, just at a, I guess, a straight bar or just a, a standard bar, and was gyrating on a stage, 11 years old, folks, gyrating on a stage for the amusement and uh, whatever, you know, just for the the, the viewing pleasure, I don't even know what to say, of a bunch of adult males, people would rightly be completely horrified. Uh, They would be outraged. Uh, there might even be, I don't know, there, there probably would be arrests made for endangering the welfare of a child. There might It might even fall under some kind of visual exploitation statute. I, I don't know. I just know that this would never be okay. And, and if a bunch of uh, friends of mine, heterosexual friends of mine, peers of mine said, yeah, you know, we were at the bar last night and they had an 11-year-old girl in a crop top, dancing on stage while adults threw money at her, uh, I would probably call the police without even necessarily knowing what the crime is that I would want them to be arrested for. I would just, I would just freak out. And what I guess isn't really surprising to, to or, sh- or shouldn't be surprising, is that I was seeing, I was seeing blue check journos today, you know, left wing progressive activist journalist types. Who were defending this? And I'm sorry, but but there's an obvious double standard that exists in the way the media views LGBTQ and transgender issues when it comes to exploitation and what would fall under, you know, exploitation in in a, in a heterosexual context. I mean, to to have a sexualized 11 year old dancing on stage. Is at a minimum morally abhorrent, and and may also be something that that violates certain statutes. I mean, once you get into some of the some of the law that exists, uh, I think people are you know generally doesn't come up because you just obviously you know there's there so many of these laws, and unless you're somebody that's violating them, you tend not to think about this. But uh, this, whenever it comes to any kind of exploitation of a child, I mean, the laws are incredibly strict as they should be. And it covers a lot more than actual, you know, physical touching or any kind of physical abuse. There's a lot more that is, is swept up into those laws. And, and I, I was just amazed to see how many people were trying to say that this is I mean, Look, the Daily Beast was writing pieces. Media is celebrating this. They're celebrating an 11 year old who is being dressed up and danced on stage for the amusement of uh, of gay men at a gay bar. And this is supposed to be normal and okay? Why? Why would anyone think that? Uh, but, you know, this is also, and this goes to the, the overzealousness with which some people are trying to turn every issue that affects the LGBT community uh, into a, a kind of a, a, a crusade. Right. They, they have lost all sense of objectivity. I mean, this is also what you see with uh, people who are advocating for 11, 12, 13 year olds to start transgender, you know, procedure uh, procedures. I mean, just start taking, you know, hormones at a very young age to start, uh, you know, the, the, the sex change operation before they're even 18. I mean, th- this is just no normal person would think this. But then again, you know, we had the we had the miss. Uh, or whatever it is, not Miss USA, but the Miss World pageant. And there was a transgender contestant at a female beauty pageant. And we're supposed to think, I mean, you know, they're telling me as a heterosexual male that if I think it's bizarre and highly unattractive for a man to present as a woman because I am only attracted to women, there's something close-minded about that. There's some kind of, of bigotry involved because they really live in this fantasy world. They think that there's like magic that's happening here where a man can become a woman and therefore men who are attracted to women should be attracted to a transgender woman, right? If you're not, they think there's something strange about you. This is crazy. This whole thing is nuts. And that they're even unable to see how it could affect uh, children and the abuse that is inherent in this kind of a thing. I mean. The, the idea that you would let an 11 year old in any context dance in a in a sexual fashion for the amusement of adult adult anybody is horrifying but this is how depraved the left has become uh, they're fine we're really starting to see the length they're willing to go to on this and and just what they're willing to sacrifice and uh, any decency, any integrity, any honor, that, that can be sacrificed to the LGBTQ trans crusade, including when it involves children. Roll call time, everybody. Man, I can't believe it's already almost Wednesday. Or as somebody said to me, it is halfway to hump day, which is halfway to Friday. Yes, that is that is technically a true thing <laughs> that was said to me, so we're we're getting there, team. Almost there for the holiday. Almost ready to rock out and forget all of our troubles with some delicious eggnog. Perhaps I know that my family we do we do ham on Christmas. We go big with the roast that honey glazed roast ham. Mmm, mm, good. Before I get into roll call, I just I gotta say something about this. I, I sometimes have this uh, this feeling. That social media is going to destroy humankind. Uh, I mean, just meaning that social media can be a, a way for the worst people in society to get attention for themselves and everything else. And, and, and you know, this weekend, I I managed to cook a a steak for Miss Molly and me. That I and she would agree, and she's a very good cook, and she can be a a tough critic. I think even she would agree that the steak was was. Basically perfect. I mean, it was really, really well done. It was a bone-in ribeye. So it was a tomahawk, and man, I I seared that guy, and I put a little thyme in there, and it was cast iron pan, and it just. And if you haven't seen it, it's on my Instagram. I think I put it up on Facebook too. Just to, you know, I was proud of my work because I've really been trying to trying to improve my cooking technique. I'm not somebody who's had much cooking experience, and I and I want to get better at this Um, and so I I remember I shared this I thought to myself you know it's so nice sometimes in social media you get to do you get to do nice things Uh, you know sometimes you get to just share you know a photo of a puppy or you get to you know put out there that you know you, you, you made really nice burgers for your family just something that you think it's not political right this is I'm just a human being, man. I'm just a person like everybody else. And I, I put this steak up there. And it's just a steak. I didn't... I wasn't editorializing. I wasn't... I thought there, if there are a few things that we can all still agree on in America, we can celebrate. A perfectly seared tomahawk steak should be on that list. And yet, some guy who's a blue check Twitter person, so from a verified account... Some guy named Jerry Saltz wrote in response to my steak, my non-political steak tweet. Oh, look at this steak. It is so good. Here's a, here's a short eight-second video of it sizzling. This guy who has a half a million Twitter followers. Uh, this guy who is somebody that, you know, you would think wouldn't be acting like such a maniac. Responded to my tweet, quote, symbol of a very lonely man with bad daddy issues. I, I, I was flabbergasted. I don't know this guy. I've had no he he apparently won the Pulitzer Prize for Criticism for New York magazine in twenty eighteen. Guy's got a half a million Twitter followers. You know, he looks kind of like you know a, a a less a less attractive version of Woody Allen. Uh, but you know, he he is a guy who writes for New York Magazine, and and I sort of sit here and I think to myself, what exactly can I do now where I, I don't have to expect that I'm going to get all this all this nasty blowback and all this stuff. You know, is there anything that's sacred? I mean, first of all, the notion that a stake. Cooking a steak is a symbol of a lonely man with daddy issues. It's so stupid. I think it's the dumbest thing I've ever read online from a person with a real platform and who works in media for a living, who, who is a writer for a living. I also thought about sharing a photo of Miss Molly as she was wearing a Black Rifle t shirt in the kitchen with me, just looking absolutely stunning and lovely and saying, uh, I don't think, I don't think that I'm a very lonely man. <laughs> I think, I think that that's a pretty, uh, that's a, that's quite a stretch there, buddy. Uh, and yet, and yet this was an exchange I had on social media. And you know what? There was, I, I thought about, you know, cause I, I don't like it when people do this. I, I, I could have really dragged the guy and gone after him and made a huge thing of it. But you know, I don't know, people say dumb things on Twitter and not everyone who says dumb things on Twitter is a bad person. I don't want to be one of those people that really just, you know, just turns turns the blade even, uh, you know, it pushes it even deeper and and turns it around and really twists it. So I decided I was just going to be saying, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll let other people decide on this one, man. This is pretty dumb, but I, I let it go. And then I realized, you know what, in, in, the, in the spirit of Christmas, I'm going to try to be even nicer for the rest of the month than I would normally be on Twitter. I don't know if I'm going to succeed, but despite the fact that there are mean trolls out there, including trolls with big followings and a lot of people that you know, want to be, uh, be reading their stuff, uh, I'm going to try to be even nicer because that's what Christmas is all about. I mean, it's actually about the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all. but let's put that aside for a moment. Let's, we won't even get into that. People totally forget about that part of it. You know, I went to a whole Christmas music spectacular at the Kennedy Center last weekend. No talk of Jesus in this, which is interesting, I thought. You know, it it is supposed to be Christmas songs and a lot of, you know, all I want for Christmas is you, which it's not really what Christmas is not about how I want, you know, somebody who's my love interest to, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just saying a little bit of taking the Christ out of Christmas is a thing that happens a lot too, a lot, far too frequently in our, in our country these days, um, but I'm going to try to be even nicer on Twitter. That's one of my little Christmas resolutions for the rest of the month. And I'm already probably too nice. So, But I'm not going to stop cooking steaks. In fact, I've already got a, I've got later this week, I think I'm going filet mignon with some rosemary from my rosemary plant. Oh, what's up? All right, roll call is up next.
5: Liberty, truth, and great hair.
0: Those funky beats
1: It's time for Roll Call. Right, I know I gave you a head fake before on the roll call, but this time I'm really I'm really getting getting into it. So here we go Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton to be a part of the Roll Call party Eric writes, I find this whole Michael Flynn in front of the judge thing to be very Pontius pilot like If the judge doesn't like it, why doesn't he put a stop to it? Well, Eric, judges, federal judges uh, have a lot of authority. They have a lot of power to do all kinds of things that I think people generally don't realize. I mean, judges can go well beyond the sentencing guidelines. They can go well below the sentencing guidelines. Judges can even set aside, people really don't know this one, and, I bring this up and they usually say, no way. Judges can set aside a jury verdict. They say, no, nope, we're going to set aside that jury verdict and impose their own sentence. Now, that's irregular and obviously would raise a lot of eyebrows, but they can do it. So as to why the judge is doing what he's doing here, there's a lot of theories about it right now. I think that people got a little bit of a, of a dose of reality today. If we think that federal judges... Are not a part of the very system that is being abused to go after people for political purposes. I think we're we're missing we're missing the point. Um, federal judges, prosecutors are very cozy. They're very much part of the same team in a lot of ways. Judges are just there to to be a traffic cop in the process, but they're not. Judges are not advocates for the citizenry over the state. I understand? That. Remember? Remember who pays the judges? Federal government. That's where they're drawing their paycheck. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't mean there are judges who are very, uh, very much devoted to the Constitution and the rule of law and, and are an essential uh, bulwark in, in defense of, of individual liberty, because there are. But just, I, I think that we've seen or, or we were led to believe um, by some people that maybe weren't paying particularly close attention that federal judges are going to be our saviors. You know, it's like with this Obamacare ruling. I mean, I think that this is not going to stand up. And so this federal judge, if anything, has made it harder for Republicans, I think, in the long term, uh, because this is going to get overturned. And then they're going to say, see, our, our judges, quote, our judges, uphold Obamacare, and that's the law of the land. Your judges try to overturn Obamacare, and they fail. So... That That's there's a there's a whole show to be had here. Many shows, probably a whole a series that we could just do on the politicization of the judiciary and what it means for this country and and some of the pit pitfalls that come from it. Thomas, what's up, my man? Whoa, Thomas, this is very long. Uh, I'm wondering what Robert Mueller's game is here, Buck. What prompted him to refer Flynn's sentencing hearing to be conducted at this time? when he knows the statute of limitations for his recommended charges doesn't expire for another four years, and he hasn't ended his investigation or submitted a final report to the DOJ. The timing here doesn't make any sense. Having Flynn testify against his partners would not be dependent on Flynn being sentenced for his alleged crime, and now the prospect of Flynn being charged by Judge Sullivan for higher crimes would invalidate any further testimony or appearance in court as well as 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 a witness against his former business partners." Is that the deal between Mueller and Flynn? Mueller will insulate Flynn from testifying against his partners in exchange for more information. Shields high. Judge Sullivan should be outraged at what's going on. Then shields high. Thomas, you're doing a lot of, of very good thinking on this, a lot of very good analysis. I, I have to tell you, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is here. and I think it's important to tell you when I really don't know. Um, I have I have some ideas. I certainly have some analysis to offer up on it, as I have been throughout this show. But it's not exactly clear to me what's going on here. Remember, we're going off of imperfect information, even for a federal trial. You know, indictments tend to be are, are, are sealed in the first place. But not only do we have sealed indictment issue, uh, we also have the issue of classification and ongoing investigation right they're claiming that some of this information is classified so we we can't see it perhaps under any circumstances and there's there's a lot that we're gonna have to sift through here why would this judge delay the sentencing until March Uh, why would the judge say that maybe he sold out that Flynn sold out his country which he then apologized for very irregular a really unsteady day in the federal court today. I mean, not, not a day that gives people a lot of confidence in what's going on with the federal judiciary. So, uh, I'm open to a lot, of, a lot of different theories about this one. I do think that Flynn's liability here, the real liability, had to do with the lobbying for Turkey and with trying to keep his son out of federal criminal jeopardy and also just wanting this whole thing to end. Um, but you know, that, that leaves a lot of open territory for, well, was Flynn just saying he's guilty? It, you know, Andy McCarthy wrote this piece the the weekend where he's like, Flynn lied. It looks like Flynn lied. And that's, that's the case. Uh, as far as we know it, Flynn did lie. Why would he lie? Why lie to the FBI about this? What purpose would that serve? I find it very hard to believe that the former director of the Defense Intelligence Agency did not know or would not have known that this conversation was monitored. It had been reported in the press that the conversation was monitored, which is why it was a thing in the first place. So even if he didn't know for some reason that this conversation had been recorded and transcribed as part of counterintelligence monitoring, then, which by the way is a huge breach of protocol that this information even got out there. I mean, somebody committed a felony leak to get Flynn. And then, the yeah, did the FBI try to set Flynn up? Absolutely the FBI was trying to set Flynn up. I want to say the FBI, a few people in the FBI, Comey, Strzok, McCabe, Sally Yates, you know, these these pro-institutionalist, pro-Hillary holdovers in the uh, Department of Justice. I mean, they're the ones that decided that they were going to get Flynn, and that's, that's what happened here. But he made it way too easy for them. I mean, I can't tell you that Flynn didn't mess up here because he did. And this the the lobbying for Turkey, I said this to you yesterday on the show, you go back and listen to it. I can't see a defense of this. I, I think this was really shady and showed very poor judgment, just as I said to you yesterday before the whole ordeal today in the federal court. I don't know why a three-star general would think that advocating on behalf of Turkey, which is really a an autocracy now. I mean, they say it's a democracy, but... Erdogan has effectively made it a, a, a Turkish version of Putin's Russia, or maybe Putin is a Russian version of Erdogan's Turkey. Uh, so this is not a, this is not a regime that he should have been, that uh, in any way Flynn should have been lending his credibility to him and involved But then he, he should have known better on that one. Now, should his life be ruined? Should 30 years of service all be forgotten? Should he have been targeted because he's part of uh, Trump's inner circle? No, no, of course not. But, There's a lot, you know, multiple things can be true at the same time. It can be true that Flynn showed poor judgment and that Flynn was targeted by the FBI. And that's what I think happened here. It can be true that Flynn lied and that he never should have been put in a position for that lie to have been a criminal matter. You know, multiple things can be true at the same time. Rick writes, Buck, still love your show. Pretty sure that will never change. Heard your Christmas movie list and wasn't surprised you'd never heard of the movie The Apartment. Released in 1960, directed by Billy Wilder and starring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine, although some might think it dated now, I think the underlying message of right and wrong is still relevant. It is definitely a Christmas movie that will take you through the gamut of emotions and very worth seeing. Merry Christmas to you and Miss Molly. Shield tie, OSS Rick. Well, Rick, thank you so much for letting me know what The Apartment's all about and for the kind message. Miss Molly sends you a big, a big hug and a and a Christmas kiss on the cheek, and yeah, man, I, I think that uh, that's a movie that I'll have to watch over this holiday season. I'm I'm just laying low. I'm I'm gonna be doing reading and and thinking and resting and maybe even get to the gym for the first time in a while. That would be nice. I do not have any exciting plans this year. I, I think that that's uh, gonna be gonna be the way that we we way that I I, I rejuvenate a little bit here. Need to need to chill. Dale writes, hey, Buck, really appreciated your shout out to Trading Places as a great Christmas movie. Sometimes people forget about it. It remains not only my favorite Christmas movie, but one of my top five comedies of all time. Randolph Mortimer. Truly an all-star cast and also very educational with respect to concepts of the market and buying on margin. Uh, Yeah, I I think that Trading Places, people would say 48 hours. I think Trading Places is Eddie Murphy's. Second best movie after Beverly Hills Cop. I know that might be a little controversial, but I put it ahead of Beverly Hills Cop. I think it's really, really entertaining. Very, very well done. And so there you have it. All right, team, that's going to be it for today in the hut. Uh, We're going to have an exciting, informative, and invigorating week here on radio. Looking forward to it. I will talk to you all tomorrow shields high i really love posting on snippy.com because i know that whatever i put up there is gonna stay and it's not getting intentionally buried under layers of supposedly neutral algorithms or terms of service nonsense when we all know that there's a lot of left-wing bias on the other social media sites check out snippy.com okay If you've looked at Snippy in the past and left, you need to go back and check it out again. They're updating it all the time with exciting new features. Snippy.com is a social media site that does not have any of the left-wing bias or progressive conversational health initiatives going on. So you know that whatever you're posting is what people are seeing, and you can communicate with other folks about the Second Amendment, about the Constitution, about any issue that comes to mind without worrying about shadow banning or any of that other nonsense, all right? Now snippy.com has an updated user interface and exciting new features also available in the Apple app store and available for Android snippy.com is your new alternative social media.